As you think about life, there are many times that we feel like, man, we are hanging on for the ride. And there are many times in life that we face transitions. The average American moves 11.7 times during their life. So that's a lot of moving that goes on uh, throughout our lifetime. The average worker works 12 different jobs through their life. In 2018, they did a study of average tenure at workplaces, and they discovered that a man is average stays at a workplace for about 4.3 years, while a woman stays at her uh, job typically for about four years. So there's lots of transitions that go on through life. There are transitions that we face just through the natural progression as we go from from uh, being a preschooler to taking that first step to kindergarten, to middle school, to high school, to college. Often then we think about uh, either instead of college, you go straight into the workforce or into the military. There's that challenge of who's that right person for me. And when I get married, that becomes a, a new and a big transition in my life. Then when you welcome a baby into this world, there's lots of transitions in life. When your kids get old enough to start getting involved in activities, you know, you go from one minute just having your little uh, phone out or your camcorder and you're just watching the baby lay there in a to now you're going to dance recitals and ball practice and band concerts and you've got all these different activities, lots of transitions. And then as parents, some of us think about the empty nest or we think about retirement and those transitions of life. All of us go through transitions. So if we're going to face transitions in life, then we need to look and see how can we scripturally, biblically, looking at an example of someone who has gone through a transition and has done well. Now, over the last few weeks, we have looked at Joseph's life, and Joseph's life had lots of transitions. For the first 17 years of his life, he was the favored, doted on son with a coat of many colors. Then he was betrayed by his brothers. He went through the transition of becoming a slave and then a convict and then second in control of all of Egypt. He had gone through lots of transitions. Now, after Joseph has gone through uh, the times of being a slave and being a convict, he's now second in control of all of Egypt. Seven good years have come upon the land and they have been years of plenty where they have stored up lots of grain. Now there will be seven years of famine, and through those seven years of famine, Joseph's brothers wander down from the promised land into Egypt, and they need some food. Ultimately, Joseph is going to then, after he reveals himself, move his whole family down. Now, some of you have been living at the same house for a long time. And as you have lived at the same house for a long time, you have accumulated a lot. Jacob had lived in this area of the what we would consider the promised land today for 130 years. And now he is getting ready to move down to Egypt with the call of Joseph saying, there's going to be five more years of famine and I want you here so I can take care of you. He is going to experience a great life transition. So 
If you look at your life, there will be transitions. So how do we navigate them? Take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46, or grab your phone or your iPad, whatever you have. But I want to encourage you uh, to grab God's Word and let's look at this together. In Genesis chapter 46, and we'll pick up in verse number 1. So Israel, he's talking about Jacob there. Uh, he is named Israel because he would be the father of the nation of Israel with his 12 sons. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel uh, in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God. The God of your father, do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Now, notice that last phrase. Jacob is not only going to experience the transition of life of moving to Egypt, He's going to experience the transition to death. And that's what they're talking about here as Joseph is going to be the one who closes his eyes. That he is going to face over the next few years the transition of life and the transition to eternity. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and give us wisdom as we open it today. And Lord, I, I ask that you would speak to us for those that are in transition today. I pray for encouragement for those of us as we think about eternity. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be prepared. In your name, amen. As we think about transitions, transitions are like thinking about trials. We are either in the midst of one, we are coming out of one, or we're going to be moving into one. We all go through lots of different transitions in life. Transitions as we think about jobs and moving, but transitions as they come with life, a baby, and with death. Transitions come in every different form and in every different lifetime and life, uh, every, every different period in time of our life as we think about moving from different places. We think about those early years, you get married, you have a baby, you get a little older and you're running, you get older and they're now you're paying lots of money for this and that and this and that and you're going off to college and you're an empty nester. Lots of transitions. You hopefully then can keep with good health, but health transitions come along the way as well. And then there's that transition we think about, I'd love to retire someday. And then there's that transition that says, I know I'm not going to live here forever. I need to be ready to transition into eternity. So as we think about life transitions, how do we navigate them? How do we walk through and confidently move from one aspect of our life to another? How do we transition from this place to this place? How do I move from this part of my life to this part of my life and to do it well? So I want us to think about some, some keys to transition first in life. Keys to transition in life. Jacob has lived about the same place for the last 130 years, and now he is going to go through this 
huge transition of not just moving himself, but moving all of his family down to Egypt. What are the keys to transition in a life like this? Well, notice back with me in Genesis chapter 46 and pick up in verse number three. Is we're going to have in transition with, with confidence. A confident transition is going to come with the assurance from God. Notice verse number three. So God speaks to him and says, Jacob, Jacob, in verse two, but verse three, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation. Here's the assurance first that he gives, the assurance of his word. God gives the assurance of his word. What was the promise to Abraham, then to Isaac, and now to Jacob? That I was going, I am going to make you a great nation. And Jacob with his 12 sons, those 12 sons are going to become the 12 tribes of Egypt. And so Jacob, I want you to stand on my word and I want you to believe me and trust me as you face transitions in life. All of us in some regard right now are even facing some sort of transition as we have moved from what was normal in life to putting on masks, limiting where we're going, keeping hand sanitizer on, and everything around us the way we did it a few months ago is different. We're facing a transition. So what do I do? I've got to stand on God's word. Life circumstances are going to change. Storms are going to come. Days of joy are going to come. But the one thing that does not change in the world around us is the word of God. Matthew 24, 35 says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away. So the one firm foundation that we have through all of the transitions of life is that we stand on God's word. No matter what, we take his promises to heart that God had promised Jacob, look, when you go down there, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to keep my promises. And today he says, as you face the transitions of life or health or finances or relationships, know this, my word is true and you can stand on it no matter what. But there's not only God's word, but notice then in verse number four, there is the promise of God's presence. There's the promise of God's presence. Notice what God says to him. I will go down with you to Egypt. I'll go down with you. Jacob, you don't have to fear. As you walk through this transition, you do not walk alone. As you walk through this transition, trial in your life. You do not walk alone. Matthew chapter 1, his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. God lives in us. His presence is here. He goes before us as Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse number 8 says. He is the one who goes before. He is our God. He lives in us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Remember Joseph as he is sold into slavery, and as he's sold into slavery at the end of Genesis chapter 30, uh, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 39, when he finds himself enslaved in, in, in Potiphar's house, it says in verse number two and three, the Lord was with him. And then Joseph is thrown in prison and down in Genesis chapter 39 around verses 21 to 23. It reminds us the Lord was with Joseph. 
And let me tell you, the Lord is with you as you face the transitions of life. You do not face them alone. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16 gives a wonderful and beautiful illustration. It says this, can a mother forget her nursing baby? No, she's not going to forget about her baby. And the Lord says, I'm not going to forget you. See, I have inscribed your name on my hands. God says, I'm not going to forget you. You don't have to worry about, about me oh, losing track. Oh, oh, I lost one over there. Oh, I forgot to show myself strong to that one. Oh, I forgot to keep my promises with that one. Oh, I forgot to show myself strong in that one. That's not going to happen. God says, look, I've inscribed your name on the palms of my hands. Obviously, that's a, a figure of speech. But the picture is, is God will never leave us nor forsake us so that we can move with assurance as we face transitions in life. They come with the assurance of God's word and God's presence. And don't think for a minute, as you go through hardship or as you face transition, that this word is going to change or God's presence is going to change. God is here. God will speak. Confident transition comes with the assurance from God. But secondly, we find that that as we think about this this transition in their life. Notice with me in verse number five of chapter 46. It says, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel, and they carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. And they took their livestock and their goods and they acquired in the land, that they acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt. Confident transition anticipates change. They physically are moving from the land of Canaan, the promised land, down to Egypt. There is the anticipation of change. And they're going to bring about 70 people with them. And listen, they have little ones, they have wives, there's brothers, and everyone is going to probably feel this change a little bit differently. When we moved here to Missouri, our our boys were going into 11th grade, 9th grade, 7th grade, and 4th grade. That's a big change. That, 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 that's a big family change. There were different emotions. There were different challenges. They, they each uh, had the, their own needs during that time. And, and what we find is, is that when you face change or when you move or you pick up or life changes, there's going to be different emotions that come with that from different people. And you have to anticipate that and seek to meet needs and seek to remind of God's word and of God's presence. Now, for our family, we did things a little bit differently than, than maybe other families have been able to do. What we did was we talked about this a lot. We talked about the move, and, and we talked about the spiritual markers that God had placed along the way. And then we ultimately just gave the boys a piece of paper and allowed them to vote yes or no on whether to go. It was secret. They put them in a, a little jar or box or something. Now, it wasn't that secret because we could tell their handwriting, but it was to them, it was secret, okay? It was secret, and they were able to vote and kind of share and just to see where they are and what do we need to talk through during this time. And all four of them said, yes, we, we feel like as as we've listened and, and we're willing, we're all in this together, we are going to move. And that's what happened, but it brought change. It brought a family change for us. 
And especially after being in Georgia for 10 years, for some, for Josh, it was the only life he had ever known. For Micah and Joel, they had been there most of their life as well. So there was big challenges and big changes during this time. So we, we find that, that it was different. And it was different for Luke and Joel and Micah and Josh. But there was the anticipation through that process that there is family change. But not only was there family change, but there was going to be a major cultural change here. And, and this is almost hilarious because you got to you got to read this passage with me. Notice down in, in Genesis chapter forty six, pick up with me in in verse number thirty three. Joseph is coaching his brothers and telling them what to do. And, and you, this again, this is pretty funny. He says, "When when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? Uh, this is what you're supposed to say." Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. Now notice the last phrase, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So, hey, you're not only moving, but people are going to hate you because you're shepherds. They're going to look down on you and be prejudiced toward you because you guys raise livestock. You are going to be the scum of the Egyptian earth. But notice what happened. And it's interesting how Joseph had thought through this and, and, and anticipated this change in their life. He was not moving them into a major city, if you know some of the major cities of like Memphis of, of that day in Egypt. He moved them to the land of Goshen so that they were out, out, out from the culture just a bit, out from the center of town. They had livestock, so they needed some property. But Joseph also is wisely keeping them away from from some of the paganism of that day, some of the polytheism of that day, where they're worshiping many gods and, and they're worshiping the Pharaoh himself. And Joseph is saying, look, here's a great little place. So I'm going to anticipate the change. Your family's going to have lots of changes, but you're moving into an area where you're going to be looked down upon because you're shepherds. That's got to do a lot for your self-esteem to move into a new area and know that everybody doesn't like you already because you're, you're a shepherd. So Joseph says, this is the wise thing. He anticipates change. But we see that it, there's not only the assurance from God's word and God's presence, and there's not only the anticipation of change, but there's going to be an open door of ministry as they move here as well. There's going to be an open door for for ministry to take place. There's going to be ministry opportunities. Confident transitions are going to recognize the opportunities that are there. Now, as we think about those opportunities, notice first with me in verse number 28. In verse 28, he sends Judah uh, to get Joseph ready. But notice in verse number 29. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Here was the opportunity. Jacob had not seen his son in 22 years. What an opportunity this was going to bring. And I I love that picture. It says that Joseph presented himself to his father. 
Can you imagine Joseph pulling up in his, you know, brand new Corvette chariot with, uh, you know, the, the big tricked out wheels on it and, and he's wearing the designer clothes and he's second in command in all of Egypt and he's like, hey dad, here I am. I'm presenting myself to you. But Jacob doesn't see the second in command in Egypt. He doesn't care about the fancy wheels and the cool chariot. This is my son. And they fall on each other's neck and weep. And Jacob is so thrilled. He said, man, I can die in peace now because I have seen my son. Have you watched those? uh, I can't hardly watch them because I just cry when I watch them. Those videos of military families, those men and women who've been on deployment and then they show up and they surprise a a mom or a dad or a a husband or a wife and they surprise their kids and especially when it's the kids. Man, and, and they run up and there's laughter and hugs and tears. There's this happy... 22 years. That's more than a bunch of... You all in this section have been alive. They haven't seen their, he hadn't seen his son. What we find is this is a happy moment that has the opportunity because there's a transition. So yes, transitions can be hard. Transitions can be challenging. But there are opportunities that come with transitions that may never be experienced if we don't walk through the open door that God places before us. But there's another opportunity here in chapter 47. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 47 because this is, this is amazing as well. It says in verse number 7, Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Notice down in verse number 10. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. the greatest ruler that this side of the world knows right now. Jacob has the ministry opportunity to go and share about the God of Israel and to bless this man. Sometimes God puts transitions into our life because there's one person that he wants us to bless. Sometimes God calls us to new cities and new jobs, maybe even a new church. Because there's one person that God has whose life needs to be touched by your influence. It may be just one. There may be multitudes. But as we think about the transition and Jacob stepping through this door of transition and the opportunity that lies before him we find that God not only reunites him with his son, but gives him the opportunity to bless the Pharaoh. There are some transitions that we don't fully understand why God leads us into and why God changes and why God calls. And yet, as we look back at Joseph's life, we see how God orchestrates in his sovereign plan, in his divine providence over all things, that God moves in mysterious and untraceable ways at times. And it's only as we look back and now we look around and we see, I was able to touch a life for the kingdom, because God brought me through a change. 
There are keys to transitions in life. You need to get a hold of God and make sure that you hear from Him. You need to anticipate change, but recognize there are opportunities that lie ahead as God leads us into transition. That's why He leads us into transition. That's why He makes us restless about some area of our life where we've grown comfortable. And He says, look, it's time for you to step out. It's time for you to take a move. It's time for you to to, to get to the land of maybe discomfort so that you can touch someone's life. For those of you who have gone through health challenges in your life, God can take the transition of going into a surgery and coming out of a surgery and the struggle of that and how all that played in your life, and he can turn around and use that with that person behind you who's going to face that surgery as well. And you have the testimony of how God was faithful and and you were anxious and God saw you through and that God worked in the heart and life of the uh, of, of those that were around you and you were able to, to impact. And now you're here today. It's a picture of the influence that God gives you. So take the trials and the transitions of your life and turn them around to say, God's giving me a springboard of opportunity for ministry. Transitions are challenging, but transitions can make an eternal difference in someone else's life. There's the confidence and the keys to a transition in life. As the Pharaoh asks Jacob how old he is in this passage, he says, you know, I'm 130 years old and life has been pretty hard. That's basically what he says. For the first 17 years of Jacob's life, he's had his son Joseph with him. But we're also going to find for the last 17 years of his life, his son Joseph is going to be right with him. And Joseph is going to be the one who would close his eyes. So we think not only about Jacob's transition in life, but we think about the keys to a transition into eternity. See, Joseph had transitions in life. But his greatest transition is yet to come. And we see that as he anticipates that transition, we understand that God is at work. Now he's 147. He's been with Joseph for 17 years. And as he is showing us, and listen, giving us the keys to transition into eternity... Let's, let's be aware and let's think about what Jacob and how Jacob works and moves and what he teaches us. First off, there is this personal aspect in which he's ready. There is personal preparation in his life. Now, notice with me back in, in Genesis chapter 47 and in verse number 27, Genesis 47, 27. It says, Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen. They had possessions there and they grew and they multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. Okay, so there are 130. Now he lived 17 years. And the length of his life was 147. But notice verse 29 with me. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. And deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. 
You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. There's the sense of personal preparation. So let's get very practical here. And this is a reality of all of us in life. Many of you are are young, and I understand that. But there are keys to transition in life, and there are keys to transition in eternity. And as far as personal preparation, make sure your family knows what you want. Make sure your family knows your wishes. And that's exactly what, what Jacob is sharing here. He's saying this, do not bury me in Egypt. Bury me in the promised land. Bury me in the the cave of Machpelah, which was the cave where Sarah would have been buried and Abraham would have gone. We find that there is where he wanted to be buried. So he says to his son, Joseph, Make sure and not leave me in Egypt. I do not want to be buried among this pagan people in this pagan culture. I want to be reminded of the promises of God and be buried with my fathers of faith. And that's what I desire. Now, we find that he says that to Joseph in chapter 47, and he repeats it to his other sons in Genesis chapter 49 and beginning in verse number 29. He says he charged them. And said, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Okay, it's the cave of Machpelah. Jacob says, these are my desires. This is what I want. Now, for those of us who are parents now, let's get get talking. Make sure your family knows what you want when you step into eternity. You can think about, and I know none of us like to think about this, and sometimes we think, man, this is morbid to think about, but this is the truth. Just as all of us face transitions in life, all of us are going to face the transition of death. So we need to make sure that our family knows what our wishes and desires are. Do you have a will? You need to have a will. You say, well, we don't own anything. Well, that might be true. Do you have children? Where do you want your children? Who do you want your children to go to? Do you want them to become wards of the state of of Missouri? Do you want the state of Missouri to decide where they go? Don't don't put the state of Missouri in, in your family. What happens if this brother and this sister want both want the kids? So just make your desires known. It's simple. It's it's laying it out. It's saying, look, I'm I'm setting up my keys to preparation in life, and I'm setting up the keys to death. What's going to happen with me? So in our life, we lived in Georgia. We didn't have any other family that lived in Georgia. So we had a plan in place that said, basically, if Julie and I were cruising around on a Thursday on my day off, and we had a horrific car accident, and we were both killed, we had someone assigned who could check all of our kids out of school and start driving toward Missouri as fast as they could. We we planned it out. We did not want them to become uh, involved in the state of Georgia. We already had in the will where they were going to go, but we said, here's the family phone numbers. You call and start driving, and they will meet you. It's, It's making sure that your desires are known. And some of us who are a little bit older... 
don't, don't leave it to your kids to fight over your furniture or your 401k. Just spell it out. Just tell them who gets what. It makes life so much simpler. Tell them your favorite Bible verses so that they'll use them at the funeral. See, your family needs to know your wishes. But even more importantly than knowing your wishes, secondly, your family needs to hear your story. Your family needs to hear your story. Notice, notice with me, as, as we think about hearing your story, notice back in chapter 48, and in verse number 3, it says, Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. What's he saying? He's sharing his faith story with his family. He's going to bless Ephraim and Manasseh right here. He's sharing his faith story. I haven't said this in a while. So I'm going to tell you and remind you again. Write your testimony. Write it. Don't leave any question. Don't, don't, don't leave us at the point. Pastor Jerry and I talked about this this week. How many people have said they made a decision when they were eight years old and they've not walked with the Lord in 60 plus years and their family comes and I, Pastor Jerry, I, do they have any favorite verses? Well, no. Uh, well, how did you get our number? Well, we just saw that there was a First Baptist Church in the phone book. So, so basically, you have no story, you have nothing, you have nothing spiritual to, to give us at all, except that they went to a Baptist church to vacation Bible school back out in the country when they were eight. That's all you got? Don't leave that. There's no assurance in that. There's no confidence in, in someone going to heaven with that. Write your story. Jacob says, man, I have a faith story. God showed up to me and he made a promise to me. And he said, this is what's going to happen. And I walked with God all of my life. Now, Jacob's walk was not perfect. There was far from it. He had lots of failures, lots of mistakes. But he ultimately is a man of faith. And so he wants his family to hear his story. So write out your testimony and share it so that they hear and know your story. Not only do they need to know your wishes and hear your story, but thirdly, they need to receive your blessing. They need to receive your blessing. If you look in chapter 48 here, he's going to bless Manasseh and Ephraim. If you go into chapter 49, you're going to find that he has blessings for all of his sons. Matter of fact, if you look at, in Genesis chapter 49, we're going to find one of those blessings has a, has a direct impact on us. If you slide down to verse number 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter, who holds a scepter? The king. What's he saying? The king is going to come from Judah. So who ultimately is going to come from Judah? David. But ultimately, Jesus. That's a blessing that he shares. He shares the blessings with Joseph down in verse number 22 and following. He has words of blessing over them. Make sure that your, your children, your grandchildren receive your blessing. A few years ago, I met a guy named Greg Vaughn. And Greg Vaughn has uh, just kind of shared some of his story. He uh, was the son of a workaholic, a guy who was just busy all the time. Dad didn't really cultivate any relationship with him, got Alzheimer's, and then died. He's kicking around in the garage after his dad had died. 
And he comes across an old tackle box, and he sees some fishing lures. And he looks and opens this old tackle box with, you know, the old plastic worms are stuck together, and, and the, the lures, uh, you know, have rusted up after time. And he says to God, is this it? Is this all I've got? I don't even have my dad's signature. And then God spoke to him and said, well, what are you leaving your kids? And he started a ministry and he called it Letters from Dad. He's written a book. And it says that you need to have words of blessing and affirmation over your kids. Write them and tell them. A few years ago, I took him up on that and I wrote and I updated this letter four years ago when I was getting ready to go into uh, my kidney surgery. And I kept this letter in a drawer. It's been in, in my top drawer for four and a half years. And it says, Julie, Luke, Joel, Micah, and Josh. I wrote this original letter many years ago, but thought that I should update some parts of it before my kidney surgery. I'm so proud of you boys. And Julie, I adore you. I realize that you're reading this letter because it has become time for the Lord to call me home. I'm glad that those that God loves, he takes good care of. Don't worry about me. I'm with my glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, basically, I say today, I confess my absolute love for each of you. The greatest privilege in my life has not been being a pastor or getting my doctorate or anything else. My greatest joy and privilege has been to be a husband and father. I have felt so blessed to be Julie's husband and Luke, Joel, Micah, and Josh's dad. This has been an overwhelming blessing from the Lord. You have been a great joy, and I love all of you wholeheartedly, and I bless you as my family, and I go on and write some other personal things. What do I want my kids to know? What do I want them to hear from me? When I step into eternity, I want them to know that I love them, that I believe in them. And that's what Jacob does. Jacob takes time to have a blessing over his family. Could I encourage you today? And you don't have to wait till your funeral. Write somebody a letter. Write your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids a note just to share your love for them. When I was a senior in high school, one of my best buddies, his dad was killed, hit by a drunk driver. And he asked me the question, has your dad ever told you that he loves you? And I said, man, I know your dad loved you and look what he did and look at this and look at this. But it was just, he just wanted to be able to hear it. So write it. That way they don't even have to remember in their own ears. I mean, they need to hear it, but write it. Bless them. This is exactly what Jacob did. So no matter how old your kids are or where they are or what's going on, Maybe today or this week, you need to take a few minutes. And it don't have to be a full, single-spaced, long letter. Maybe it could just be a few lines that say, man, I love you, and I'm with you, and if you ever need me, I'm here. It's that kind of a blessing. I believe in you. And you look at this, I, I challenge them in their walk with the Lord and, and blessed and, and share the blessing of, of raising. That's the picture. Make sure that they have your blessing. 
There is a personal preparation that all of us need to inspect in our own life and look at Jacob and say, look what he did. He didn't do everything right, but he died right. Personal preparation. But there's not only personal preparation, but there's spiritual preparation. Notice with me as we think about his spiritual preparation down in Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 33. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last. And then it says, and he was gathered to his people. What does it mean to be gathered to his people? It means that he went to heaven with the people of faith, Abraham and Isaac. And he got to have the happy reunion with his family. But he got to have a happy reunion with God. There was spiritual preparation in his life. And it wasn't from some decision that was made back 125 years ago when he was a 12-year-old boy. There was a life of faith that was exemplified and a blessing that was offered, but a spiritual preparation that was ready to pull his feet up into the bed to take that step over into eternity. In Luke chapter 16, as we see the picture of, of Lazarus, when, when he dies, it says that an angel picked him up and carried him to Abraham's bosom, a picture of, of heaven. So we find that at that moment, God was bringing Lazarus over. Now the picture is Jacob is going over to the other side. So how do we know he was ready? Well, he was ready the same way we have to be ready. By faith. This morning, there's just the little formula that we used to use in kids' Bible school of ABC. First off, that we have to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have thought things and said things and done things that are wrong, and we're disqualified from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. We have to acknowledge there have been times that we've said things that have been ugly. We've done things that are wrong. We're disqualified from a perfect heaven. And some of you think, well, I haven't been that bad. I haven't been as bad as, well, you're not being compared to them. You're being compared to the, the, the perfect holiness of God. So let me tell you, you don't, you don't fare well. So we have to acknowledge that we're sinful, that we've sinned, that we've broken God's laws. But then we have to believe. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God in the flesh who stepped down into humanity and he never did anything wrong. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. And then he rose again from the dead after paying the punishment, taking the, the guilt and the shame and the punishment that we deserved on the cross, he died and then he rose again and then we have to see Call on the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. Confess him as our Savior. Romans 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died for us and rose again, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. That's the only way we're ready. We're not ready because we went to church. We're not ready because we gave money. We're not ready because we helped cut our neighbor's grass. We're not ready because we made a donation down at this charity. We're not ready because we took a little kid fishing down the road. We're ready because we have faith in Jesus and we know that we know 
that Jesus has forgiven us of sin and come into our life. Let me ask you today, and, 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 and this moment is, is, is essential and serious in your life. You face all kinds of transitions in life, but are you ready for the transition into eternity? Are you ready? If the Lord would call today, do you know you're spiritually prepared? You may need to receive Jesus today and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I've thought things and said things and done things wrong. God, I believe Jesus died on the cross and I ask you for forgiveness of my sin. I believe Jesus is alive and I pray that you'll come into my life. If you'll do that today, the Bible says you can be forgiven of sin and have a new start in life. Are you ready? Are you ready?